times the podcast no name yet so we're sticking with turf show times and i used to call it pod tst just a very straightforward podcast or show times this could be pod tst what it really is though it's a show about the rams i'm kenneth arthur of turfshowtimes.com with me as always jb scott same website turfshowtimes.com same podcast turf show times the podcast same team the los angeles rams and the rams are a little more than a week into 2022 training camp and the big story this week is the lack of appearances by Matthew Stafford as he is resting an elbow or an, his arm or everything that apparently has been in the works for the entire offseason, according to Sean McVay in his meeting with the media after practice on Wednesday. And John Wolfert emphasizing that he expected to get more reps with the ones in training camp this year because of additional rest for Matthew Stafford and JB, I know that for me, thinking about Matthew Stafford, I just go back to 741 pass attempts between the regular season and the playoffs. 21 games started. He had never played in more than 17 games in any season. And so now we're looking at four games more than that. That's a quarter of a season added on top of that. And so when we talk about a Super Bowl hangover, part of that is just being the team that plays the most recently and for the Rams, you know, that could come into play. And I think that load management, which is basically what they said they're doing with Stafford right now is load management. It's just in the form of practices. It could come into fruition eventually in games when teams are looking at probably uh, eventually an 18 game season and quarterbacks are being asked to throw the ball more than ever. They're being asked to do things with their arms differently than they've ever done before. You know, you would think, you know, uh, I don't want to say that quarterbacks never had crazy arm angles in the 60s and 70s, but in general, we know that the game is different today. And that means that teams will have to approach the game differently. So John Wolford is getting a lot more reps with the starters. And I don't know, it feels like maybe we could see John Wolford start a game at some point this year, even if we're just playing the odds and saying, well, how long until eventually Stafford does need a break or something happens because of all of the wear and tear in his arm. You know, 50, if he throws the same number of pass attempts this year that he threw last year, that would be 1,500 pass attempts. That's typically about two and a half to three years for Matthew Stafford. So to do that in two seasons, it's just different. So, JB, what are your thoughts on Stafford, John Wolford, and load management? Yeah, Stafford's been in the league for a long time, over a dozen years. And you think of him as shouldering the load all those years in Detroit. And this is the year he, he threw the most passes he's ever thrown in his career. And, you know, that's a lot of times to chuck the football. And, it, yeah, it takes a toll the first 17-game season in the in the NFL. And it's fair to, you know, want to rest him. And we saw him uh, – He's it's all according to plan, according to Sean McVay, right? So there's no reason to worry. There's no reason to be concerned. Um, but in the back of my mind, I can't help but feel that, um, you know, maybe there's – there's something there and yeah, we might see John Wolford this year and we're probably not going to see him in the preseason coming up, not to spoil what we're going to talk about, but we didn't see him last year. We haven't seen him since that playoff game where he got knocked out early and Jared Goff came and won the game against the Seattle Seahawks. So um, what is John Wolford? Maybe the secondaries have a strong training camp. Maybe part of that is John Wolford, uh, maybe not getting the ball to the receivers effectively, who knows, but we're going to check in on Stafford. Uh, hopefully we don't see John for the regular season, but we're really not sure what we have in him either. 
Yeah, I mean, we if we look at the Rams' schedule ahead, I just think you never ever you know want to admit that you're under or overestimating underestimating a team or you know not taking a team seriously. You know, no NFL team ever wants to ad- publicly admit that. Even though I think we all know that it happens every week, there's some team out there that thinks we're so much better than this other team. We'll never lose. And even though we focus on the upsets, the truth is most of the times there isn't an upset. That's why it's called an upset. So most of the times they're right. And then every once in a while, like the Rams versus the Jets two years ago, you're looking at a team going, this is the worst team in the league. There's no way the Rams are a good team. And then the Rams lose. So yeah, you don't ever want to publicly admit that you don't think that highly of another team. And yet at the same time, will we come to the day in the NFL that a team says, we're not playing Matthew Stafford this week and everyone knows, and they'll say it's not because of the opponent and everyone will know they'll say you're playing the Jaguars. You know, that's, that's what you're doing, you know? So it seems like I could see that happening where, you know, teams will have to say, Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you, you know, you just say, Hey, this guy's getting a break because uh, of arm fatigue. I don't know if, you know, maybe it's very tricky with the, the CBA and the rules about being able to say a player is injured if he's not that injured or, or whatever it is. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but ultimately I just think you could get to that point where a guy doesn't feel like he's got it that week and the team, you know, is saying, well, shit, you know, we're we've got a three game lead in the division or we have four weeks to play in the regular season. Why don't we just start John Wolford this week? We think John Wolford could win this game for us and we could give Matthew Stafford a break, you know, or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. You know, could it really happen that really maybe a team does that? You know, this is something that I could see coming to fruition as the seasons get longer and the, the game starts to morph in that way. And so if John Wolford does go out there, you know, JB, we saw John Wolford against the Cardinals a couple of years ago, the team won, and you could give John Wolford a, a round of applause for a few things that he did, but the offense had to change dramatically. And that was from Jared Goff, not from Matthew Stafford. So it would have to change even more, presumably, if John Wolford had to step in for a game. And it seemed like they were going with something more along the lines of, you know, a spread offense and uh, what Wolford did in college. And so that was a bad day for Cam Akers. And it was an okay day for some of the receivers. And, and it was an okay day that the team won. But ultimately, it would be a, such a different offense. And then getting to Bryce Perkins even more dramatically different. So yeah, what how, what kind of a change would you expect if the Rams did have to start John Wolford this season? Yeah, the game and a half that John Wolford started in replacement of Jared Goff back in 2020, the offense scored zero touchdowns. So uh, oh. against that game and against the Cardinals, Troy Hill and the defense scored more touchdowns than John Wolford and the offense put up. So it's not like, yeah, we can give a round of applause winning the game. That's what got the team into the playoffs that year but he didn't exactly light up the scoreboard. And I think looking back, sometimes we remember those memories more fondly than maybe we did at the time. So Mm. um, Bryce Perkins, I think definitely might have a higher floor, right? Just because he has that running ability and that mobility that we saw in the playoffs last year, but you know, he's a limited passer too. He might not be able to push the ball down the field. So if something happens, God forbid that Stafford is out for a long period of time, maybe you put in Perkins over Wolford just because, you know, 
he has that look that high ceiling or the high floor maybe a lower ceiling and maybe you platoon it i really don't know but um man i really don't want to think about that <laughs> ironically the rams are kind of in the same position with stafford that they were a couple years ago with todd Gurley, right where todd Gurley mm. woke up and he had good days and he had bad days and you know he wakes up and he's in a good mood and he has a big playoff game in the divisional round against the dallas cowboys and you know maybe during the nfc championship the super bowl he wasn't feeling that good and you saw cj anderson so um Fast forward a couple of years, here we are with the franchise quarterback that just got a four-year, three or four-year contract extension. And uh, these are the kind of things that keep you up at night, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I and I did try to caution people in a sense when Matthew Stafford came to the Rams, there was a lot of concern about his health and a lot of people feeling like this was too risky to acquire a player who had had such an injury history. But I had to, you know, say, hold on a second. This is still a guy who only missed eight games in 2019. You're still thinking of the Matthew Stafford from 2010. You know, he had a long record of durability, which I would consider to be just also a thing of, he has also has a long history of playing through pain. And, uh, you know, Sean McFay says on Wednesday, you know, hey, this is just pain management. And most of us don't want to be in pain. And so, we, you know, it's it's not necessarily something we relate to. You might have some back pain. You might be do something very physical at home that does, you know, and you've got everybody, you know, everybody's got their own pain. But it's not necessarily something that we want to think about happening. But maybe for Matthew Stafford, he just accepts that, with a $160 million, he can deal with some pain and it doesn't affect his ability to play the game. It just means that he's playing hurt. And so if he's given that opportunity where the coaches are saying like, Hey, you don't have to be in pain today. Maybe that's another reason to just go like, okay, great. I'm going to throw on the side, sign autographs to do that kind of thing. Cause what does, you know, it sounds like, you know, moving on, you know, it sounds like there's a lot to be happy with in the receiver room, even though Van Jefferson, he did have surgery this week and Sean McVay said that it went well. I wouldn't expect Van Jefferson in week one, maybe not even in week four. And that seems okay because you know, Cooper Cup is Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson has been maybe the star of camp, getting the most comments about how great he is. And every day he makes another big catch, whether it's with Stafford or Wolford and he's, you know, he's, he's got a pretty good secondary that he's going up against as well. So it's very encouraging to see Allen Robinson, who has a history of being a number one receiver, having such a camp and he's 28 years old, even though he feels like he should be 38 years old. And then you've got Tutu Atwell, one of the off seasons standouts, according to Sean McVay, making a big 50 yard touchdown catch. I put that in quotes because it's just practice from John Wolford, but he does do more and more in practices. So at least seems like with those three, the Rams can feel pretty good about what they've got at wide receiver. And that's amazing to say, because I mean, JB at the end of the Super Bowl, if I had said to you, man, this team's going into week one with cup, Allen Robinson and Tutu Atwell is their top three receivers, and people are really excited about Tutu Atwell. That would have felt like not real. Uh, so, where are you at? Are, am I being, you know, am I being over overly optimistic about Tutu Atwell, or you know, does this feel like Stafford could potentially even have a better receiver room than he did last year? I don't think you're being overly optimistic, but I think we need to prepare our readers and our turf show time followers for you're not going to see Tutu Atwell play a lot of snaps as wide receiver three. You know, I kind of view Ben Skronik as the interim wide receiver three, just because you might see him play more snaps 
And Batuts Wetwell might be the one that has the higher production because Ben Skronik, let's face it, and I said this at points last year, if, if anyone listened to the Last Minute Thoughts podcast with me and Rob, Ben Skronik looks like a Rams wide receiver. He's he's built to block. He's a special teams contributor. And uh, he just he's going to play a lot of snaps. He's going to help in the run game. Maybe you see Tutu Atwell for 15, 20 snaps on offense, and that might be enough for him to get behind the defense a couple of times, take a jet sweep, take a screen, and get some chunk yardage out of it. So in small doses, Tutu Atwell might be effective, and the defense has to honor that threat, right? And that's what you hope for. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe maybe we remember Ben Skronik a little more fondly last year if he didn't drop that 30- or 40-yard pass in the NFC Championship game against San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> maybe if he catches that, people are more excited to see him uh, run it back in year two, but uh, I think you're going to see a lot of them, especially early in the season, with Tutu Atwell more of a complementary role, but you could see him have more production than Ben Skronik, I think. It's going to yeah, that's a really good uh, point. And yeah, maybe uh, pumping the brakes on the number of snaps that are available to go around for Tutu Atwell. We'll see how things play out. Definitely seems like the Rams are excited that when he does get snaps, like if he, let's say he gets 15 or 20 snaps, high probability that you know two or three targets are coming his way and they're going to be the type of targets where it's like hey this is a 2-2 at will play he's probably going to be running something that is not going to be involved in you know tight coverage so something out there available to him and in, in the terms of jet sweeps and getting that ball in open spaces and seeing what he can do with the ball once it's in his hands so i don't know how long that even leads to success you know for this season you know eventually teams are going to go well if Tutu Atwell's only getting 15 20 snaps uh it's a two it's a two two atwell play you know or it's some sort of form of play and then it's sean McVay playing some chess and figuring out the best way to uh trick people in those situations but let's talk about when the rams start to put some of that film on tape and when uh Tutu atwell will get his opportunities to show what he can do probably uh it's gonna be the preseason so jb and i are gonna talk about the three preseason games ahead on the ram schedule because we haven't really done that and i haven't really thought about it at all i don't ever really think about the preseason schedule it's just you know some entertainment for fans and some working out little kinks and everything a lot of the players will not make the team a lot of the players will not will make the team but will not have huge roles on the team and we know that in Sean McVay's case, especially starters, and in some cases, the backups to starters will not make appearances. And of course, teams also don't want to give away their secrets in the preseason. So there's a lot of things going on in the preseason that lead to misrepresentations of reality, maybe is one way to put it, to you know statistics and everything like that, which should never really be trusted and it's going to it's going to be impossible for some people out there to separate the statistics from the reality of how they played and who the competition was and what the situation called for and what the teams are really trying to accomplish that day and so that's where you know sometimes a guy can go out there and catch a ton of passes and it's not necessarily going to make the team so that's why I don't really think that much about the preseason, but this year just does feel different. The Rams are defending the Super Bowl championship. There are some really interesting position battles going on and some you know depth battles going on. So certainly there will be things to focus on for the Rams in this preseason. And, and that's what we're going to do today because August 13th against the LA Chargers is the first one that's 10 days away, JB. And it's a battle of Los Angeles. And so... 
that's going to be an interesting one to watch. You've got that happening on Saturday, August 13th at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time at SoFi Stadium, I assume. So Rams, Chargers, we probably don't see Stafford. We probably don't see Wolford. So this seems like a Bryce Perkins and a Luis Perez game going up against Easton Stick, I guess, at quarterback for the L.A. Chargers and a lot of their backups. But what will you be watching for when that first game when we finally get our first taste of Rams in uniforms playing football? Yeah, and it's probably an important reminder that the Rams do play the Chargers in the regular season, albeit it's very late, like maybe week 17, uh, the 16th game. So um, expect Sean McVay to keep it pretty vanilla, of course. But I am excited to see the secondary. We it seems to be a hot competition in camp between all these. Uh, you know, they drafted four, two corners, two safeties, four defensive backs total in, in this draft this year, and that brings in and then also adds them to the group that was existing. So you have young guys like Robert Rochelle as well. So you know, David Long Jr. and Troy Hill are probably the top guys with Jalen Ramsey out so far. You might not see them in the preseason, but it'd be interesting to check in on Robert Rochelle's development in his second year. We know he's an elite athlete and he has a great. He has great size and a big frame, and you want to wonder if he's putting it all together. It'd be extremely important for the Rams if that's truly the case. And, you know, Darion Kendrick is making a lot of waves in camp. He's, you know, blanketing Allen Robinson. He's running downfield with the speedy Tutu Atwell. I uh, really just want to see him put it together in live action too. And Darion Kendrick's impressed. He snags some interceptions. Um, really athletic player. Maybe more of a slot corner than on the outside, but if we might be able to see him during the preseason on the outside, and that might be interesting to see how that might transition during the regular season if he makes a field at all. So um, definitely keep my eyes glued on this secondary. What about you, Ken? I really am interested in both teams. You know, I think that the Chargers in particular, they're, they're a team that when they drafted Justin Herbert, I felt so highly about him coming into the NFL. Uh, I think I, at that time I wasn't putting him over Joe Burrow, but he was easily right there next to Joe Burrow for me and not <clears throat> to a tag of Aola, uh, felt more like a second round pick to me, but with Justin Herbert, like there was just so many positive things about him and I'm not a smart genius X's and O scout type guy. So I couldn't sit there and tell you this, that mechanics, everything to the T of some of the great experts out there. But I did feel like his story, his, his attitude, uh, his, his play, his everything that went into it. I was like, this is the type of guy I would want leading a team. I mean, everything about him was like, well, if he's got the tools and he's got the attributes, I think to be a great leader at that position and a guy who can make those plays, I felt pretty highly about him. So I do think the chargers with him and, and Brandon Staley, the former Rams defensive coordinator with uh, everything that they've added around that team, you know, and there were a lot of things in place before Herbert got there. I think the Chargers are the, you know, I think the Bills are the probably the favorite there in the AFC, but I think the Chargers could be right there with them in the AFC Championship. It's really that close to me. And then, of course, you know, Patrick Mahomes will be involved there and some other guys. But with the Chargers, I think it's interesting to have the defending Super Bowl champions in the same city, the same stadium as one team that I think when Herbert came into the league, I said within the first five years, either a Super Bowl or an MVP. And, you know, this is year three for him. We could have a Rams chargers 
Super Bowl. You know, it's one of the possibilities, if not one of the higher possibilities. And so we won't get to see a real preview of that in week one uh, of the preseason, but it will be an opportunity to see how the depth is for both of these teams. And I think for the Rams, like you said, the secondary depth is something that's going to be really integral and crucial to you know the success of the team not just now but knowing what they have in 2023 and beyond and with the chargers you know i've been following them pretty closely because i do like them uh, uh as a an afc team and i'm just like i said i'm just a big fan of herbert and i think everybody was a fan of staley during his time with the rams so it's like for an afc team i was like that is a good team to pick you know i live here in los angeles so seeing that team get so close to you know being an afc favorite it's uh really just a sort of uh there should be some pride in this game there should be some battle for los angeles involved in this game there should be some of that home turf like pride and i think the players will take that seriously as well knowing that hey we're playing a team that thinks they live in our house and let's go show them that we're kicking them out of the house so i think that's kind of something that I expect you feel any of that sort of uh, potential rivalry brewing between the two LA teams, or are they just too disparate and separate for there to be any sort of emotions? Oh, I think there's a rivalry there. I think the Rams are well ahead, especially with the world championship. And but you got to keep the Chargers down. You know, they they're <laughs> gonna they're gonna be making their plays. They're gonna be making their run this year. But the Rams, if they want to be the top dog, they gotta you know stay on top and they gotta win games. So. One thing I think that's interesting is, you know, Brandon Staley spent the year with the Rams. He's a pretty unheralded defensive coordinator. Goes to the Chargers, was a, you know, he was a progressive head coach, let's call it, with the third down, the fourth down calls, right, and going for it instead of kicking field goals or punting. But, you know, Raheem Morris came in. Maybe you lost some, or you had Von Miller, but that's a dif- different defense, and it, defense is very volatile from year to year, the amount of production mm-hmm. you're going to get from them. But I think the, the wrinkles that Raheem Morris added – especially down the stretch into the Super Bowl where you're, you're involving Ernest Jones and uh, you're blitzing you're blitzing more maybe, you're giving different looks on the defensive line. Who would you rather have as a defensive play caller right now, Brandon Staley or Raheem Morris? I think I know where I would lean, but interested to hear your thoughts maybe. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to think about that because it's, it's always difficult to – sort of judge a lot of defensive coordinators you know some defense coordinators have been around for many many years but it's like if you get successful to a certain degree really quickly like brandon staley did then all of a sudden you know you you're just a one and done you know that's what he was he was one season as a defensive coordinator so it's like we never get that prove it season with him as a defensive coordinator the rams finishing first in defense in some respects during his one season with the Rams and everyone goes, this guy's uh, he's, he's got a pretty good, uh, you know, reputation, but he didn't even really have that many years as an assistant with the Chicago bears, what three years with the bears as an assistant. And then he's coming from the college ranks and he's a pretty young guy. So there were a lot of questions. It's like anybody, you never know with these defensive coordinators or any or an offensive coordinator. Sometimes they're, they're like such huge hot names for one or two years because everyone really wants to believe, you know, that they like a phenom. They like a guy who, you know, does and Brandon Staley, the way that he talks, the way that he speaks, he's very, seems like a very, again, a good leader and uh, a good speaker and just a level headed, calm, normal, 
dude, you know, relatively speaking to a lot of maybe uh, coaches and he seems like pretty normal and down to earth, but there have been like such good coordinators before that then spiraled into being, you know, irrelevant. So his time with the the Rams, it was like, well, he's going to, a, he's now a Sean McVay disciple or whatever. And that wasn't really the case, right? He was just stopping in LA on his way to a head coaching job. That's felt like more of what was happening. And then the Rams, obviously, you know, Sean McVay says, we're still doing pretty much a lot of the same things that uh, we started in 2020. Feels like he was much more about washing away uh, Wade Phillips than he was about forgetting about Brandon Staley. It's like he wants to be very clear, maybe because he's like, well, if, if they're going to say that he was so great and we were number one, you know, let's just go ahead and, and keep trying to install some of those things. And so with Staley, there are so many guys that kind of burn out as celebrity coaches, if you can put it that way. And he takes so many chances that you said last season with the Chargers, a team that, as far as I know, is the first team in NFL history you know, to come a tie away from making the playoffs. So they were not a loss away. They were a tie away. They were that close to the playoffs. And when you're that close to the playoffs, the blame has to fall on the head coach when he made all these coaching decisions that very famously, you know, didn't go in the Chargers way. And that's the thing is if you have a head coach who just kind of does things by the book and traditionally it's harder to get mad at him for the losses because he's saying this is the way it's done a million times for a million years. And it's great to have innovative coaches and innovative players who do things in a new way because those become the legends. Right. But at the end of the day, you are taking that risk. If it doesn't work in your favor, you're going to be the uh, goof. And so that's the risk that you take by doing that for Brandon Staley to come that close to the playoffs and not make it. It is a tarnishment on his reputation for making those calls as opposed to because it's it's a 17 game season it's not enough time to get you know to make up for your losses by saying well statistically speaking there's a 51 percent chance or a 58 percent chance that i was going to be right yeah but you would get in the playoffs by one or two wins or sometimes in a in a tie so for for that for him to take that risk it'll be interesting to see how staley responds to that um because if it's a if, if he plays it more conservatively this year, people are going to call him out for that. And if he keeps playing it more risky in those situations and, and you know, saying we're not going to do the same punts that everyone does, he better he better get it right. You know, they better make the play. He players better execute. You know, at the end of the day, if it goes wrong, then he will uh, not. He, you know, it'll be embarrassing. Basically, if the if the Chargers miss the playoffs uh, and that happens, that'll be embarrassing. Raheem Morris, another interesting case that he was like the opposite of Brandon Staley is that he wasn't a defensive coordinator. He was in the NFL for so long as not a, a defensive coordinator that he had been a head coach before he had even become a defensive coordinator. And then he goes to the Falcons as an assistant for so many years, doesn't officially get that defensive coordinator title just before he came to the Rams. And then he becomes the Rams defensive coordinator and just kind of slided into a situation where he's replacing the guy that was the top defensive coordinator by some metrics, you know, the year before. So doesn't exactly, I think it's a lot of words, doesn't exactly maybe answer your question, JB, but uh, I think we'll have to see this season from both of them to really get a better grip uh, grasp. I, I was pretty down on the Raheem Morris hire at first last year. And I don't, I don't know why I even questioned Sean McVay because every coordinator hire he makes ends up being a home run, right? And 
I'm really optimistic about the wrinkles Morris can add this year with Bobby Wagner and Ernest Jones Mill, that defense. I don't necessarily know how they're going to be utilized, but with this, all these, this deep, deep secondary, the star talent on the defensive line, and then you have those two star players in the middle of the defense, uh, you're gonna, you're just going to see this look a lot different, I think. And I'm really excited to see how it shakes out. Me too. Me too. And uh, here we have the Chargers depth chart um, at ourlads.com. So we'll probably see more of the guys here on the right as opposed to guys on the left. And yeah, when you see the guys on the left, I mean, we see former Ram Gerald Everett, we see former Ram Sebastian Joseph Day, uh, guys that won't be playing in this game, but there will be some interesting depth players. None of them that immediately stand out in my eyes as I look at uh, three rows uh, and to the to the right. Uh, Trey McKitty, a tight end that was of note at one point uh, in the draft. Sage Surratt recently signed. But yeah, Josh Kelly, Joshua Kelly, the running back I heard has been standing out in camp, which may or may, may not mean he plays. So those would be the Chargers. Uh, and then in the second preseason game, the Rams take on the Houston Texans. So that's a team that JB might be in more of a position to start. Any thoughts as we look two weeks ahead into Rams versus uh, Texans? They'll be hosting that game. Yeah, on the opposing sideline for the Texans is Brandon Cooks, which whenever you think about the receivers that the Rams have had since Sean McVay came to the team in 2017, uh, you know, Brandon Cooks and Deshaun Jackson are more in that Tutu Atwell mold, kind of interesting. And the rest have been, you know, Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, uh, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, Van Jefferson. Like, those are bigger receivers. So, um, if there's a mold for success this year for Tutu Atwell, it might be more in that Brandon Cooks. Um, you know, he wasn't heralded as a blocker when he was with the team. But, you know, that downfield threat. And, you know, maybe we see shades of that this year, um, too. But, Hopefully we see Davis Mills. I'd like to see him. I don't know exactly how he fits into the plans of the team's plans moving forward, but um, definitely there's reasons to be optimistic based on his rookie year. And, you know, the Ram or the Texans did sign Obu Ankaranquo from the Rams, who after they lost Von Miller might've been nice to have back at yeah. that edge rusher position. Um, but, you know, good for the Texans. I got him for like one year, $2 million. So that's a pretty savvy sign by them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, who did you like more, Samson Ebukam or Okoronkwo? Yeah, I mean, Samson Ebukam, he he played pretty much instantly as a rookie, right, as a young player. But Okoronkwo, he dealt with those injuries early, and it took him more time to develop and more time to get on the field. But I really thought he was hitting his stride last year. As In terms of pass rush win rate, he didn't have a lot of opportunities. But when he, did, he was on the field, he really made the most of them. And I think whenever you're losing Von Miller and you have Justin Holmes, who's kind of limited, Terrell Lewis, who deals with his nagging injuries from time to time. I really thought that it was a good year for Oboe to kind of step up, but um, obviously that's not how it worked out, and he's he's with the Texans now, so I think it's unfortunate. You know, JB, looking at this roster, and if we're trying to think at all about success in the preseason, which isn't the goal necessarily in terms of beating a team or blowing a team out, but the Houston Texans, if the Rams are coming to play, and we know that they are, and we know the Texans are coming to play too because these guys are fighting for their jobs, uh, then there's that. But at the end of the day, also thinking about not necessarily the goal to win 30-0, to zero, but as a preseason game, there's a lot of 30-0 to zero type scores. I'm not trying to look ahead and go, oh, the Rams are going to win 30-0. to zero. But I do think I look at the defense especially, and I think to myself, so many rookies – 
so many guys that are in their first one or two years, so many guys that have been, you know, cast off and moved around the league. The Houston Texans, they had the worst roster. Even if they weren't the worst team, they had the worst roster last year. They look to have about as bad of a roster with the exception of now they've made a few draft picks that are exciting, like Derek Stingley. But overall, you know, I don't necessarily look at the Texans and think, well, this is a better team this year by much of a stretch. And that's not to put the Texans down. It's just when I look at this roster and I look at the defense, and I think probably the Houston Texans will play their starters in week two, and and, uh, Sean McVay won't. And so this may be an opportunity for Bryce Perkins to have a really good game against the Texans defense that even with their starters, I mean, Derek Stingley, it'll be his second, you know, ever NFL type game. Uh, Jalen Petrie, a a safety out of Baylor, looked really good in the draft. Christian Harris out of Alabama. You know, these are still guys that will be starting their careers. And then you've got it's just a lot of names that are are not well-known household names like Steven Nelson, Eric Murray, Tevier Thomas. That's new to me. Uh, we know Christian Kirksey's moved around the league a little bit. The Packers and the Browns never heard. I don't know that much about Garrett Wallow. Uh, he's looks like a fifth round pick in 2021. Just a lot of guys that are making their way into the league. Good for them. You know, I root for them. Go do your thing. Be good. Be great. But JB, I I do look at the Texans and think from the Chargers to the Texans, this is a dramatically different matchup. And that's even though the Chargers will be playing their backups and the Texans will be playing their their starters. It just seems like the Texans are continuing to put a team together and that it's a part of a maybe a three to five year process. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I know the defense doesn't look very star studded. You know, Lovey Smith's scheme may be able to make the some of the parts better than the actual parts themselves right but jonathan grennard at edge rusher opposite obo bronco who we just talked about is an absolute star player and maybe if things go pretty poorly for the texans early in the season uh, hey i would i would give up multiple first round draft picks for someone like him to plug in an edge rusher opposite um you know leonard floyd for the rams but i think he's i think he's a stud he has one of the best pass rush win rates out of, the, out of the edge rushers and um yeah if the texans might be loading up for a quarterback next year they might need all the draft capital they can get and he was definitely someone if i'm a competing i'm a you know a team in the conversation for competing for a title he's someone i'm after for sure so but the, yeah. the texans on offense you know they have they have some talent they're cast offs right they they're not necessarily in-house talent but you know you have people at wide receiver i think that to be, be encouraged about obviously they just lost one of their guys with really unfortunate news but um, Brandon Cooks, you're probably talking about him. He's probably on your fantasy radar because um, him and Davis Mills really have a relationship that was very productive last year. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they're they're probably going to be in the conversation for the number one overall pick. Maybe Davis Mills is too good to get him there, and they need draft capital to move up and take that guy of the future next year, likely. Yeah, I mean, we could see really any possibility I think exists with Davis Mills, you know, maybe with a certain ceiling, but ultimately I'm I'm seeing a guy who, yeah, he could be, you have one season. He was pretty good given the situation, given the situation and the scenario and moving forward, he could either be a guy that convinces the, the Texans to make him the franchise quarterback, you know, quarterback of the future, do all the things right. And, become really good you know maybe he's better than mac jones and he could also get benched in four week four so anything is possible with davis mills it seems like and uh 
I don't know. There is an outside chance that the Texans will have Jimmy Garoppolo at this point. You know, there is uh, an ongoing situation with the 49ers. What's your, what does your gut tell you that's going to happen to Jimmy Garoppolo? Whether that is, uh, you know, where he ends up or just what the San Francisco 49ers are dealing with right now. It's hard and it's probably uncomfortable, but I think I'd keep him just because even Trey Lance, when he was playing in limited time last year, was injured. And whenever you have those mobile quarterbacks, they're just always high risk for injury and they have that exposure there. And really Jimmy G's a guy that, you know, he's taking, he's taking you to a Super Bowl and an NFC championship game. I know that's not really the kind of guy you want around whenever you're trying to build around a new franchise quarterback, but we really don't know what, what Trey Lance is going to be like this year. And that team has the talent to win now. I don't see how you move off a guy who's at least adequate and competent enough to get you there. Maybe you disagree. Yeah. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. What do you think? Well, it sounds like Trey Lance has been pretty um, as developmental as expected in practice where you're seeing those flashy plays that make you believe he could be a top five quarterback, but all the other plays that make him seem like if he goes out there in week one, he'll be a bottom five quarterback. And there is no known possible. There is no known. We don't know what's going to happen with Trey Lance. It doesn't seem like the 49ers know what's going to trail what's going to happen with Trey Lance or what Trey or the Trey Lance does. So I agree. It would be so embarrassing for Kyle Shanahan, a guy who, Shit the bed in 2018, shit the bed in 2020. I mean, twice in the last four years, the 49ers went in with high expectations and shit the bed because of a quarterback injury. So if they now break off all contact with Jimmy Garoppolo, say we're going with Trey Lance, and a week five have to turn to Brock Purdy, it's it's embarrassment for Kyle Shanahan on a level that we have never seen in any head coach in NFL history. Three of the last five years, not only does he get burned by a quarterback injury, but he does so when he had the opportunity to keep a guy that no, nobody thinks is great, but is better than Nate Sudfeld. I haven't heard any positive reports about Sudfeld or Purdy, and I paid pretty close attention to what 49ers camp is going on. And you're right. I think if Trey Lance is is healthy i do think that he's good enough to get the 49ers into the playoffs and that's just based on he's a very talented guy and they're going to make a lot of plays designed specifically for him to run the football but that is risky as you say on the other hand it's like you just look at jimmy Garoppolo's main job was you know sit back there throw as fast as you can to one of his elite weapons out there and it sounds like the 49ers with Brandon Ayuk right now have a third because Brandon Ayuk has been the star of 49ers camp by all reports it seems like if you've got Ayuk and Debo Samuel who signed to an extension and George Kittle and you're protecting the quarterback with Trent Williams you've spent all this money to be a great team then yeah you would want to ensure that position with a guy who just costs way too much you know, maybe you can convince he's worth, he's right now he's on a 24, $25 million unguaranteed contract. The 49ers can go to him and say, listen, either we're going to cut you. You're not going to be able to catch on with the team in time. They'll sign, they'll sign you for $4 million or you just accept $12 million and we'll cut your contract in half and you can stick around and you're not going to start. Even if Trey Lance sucks, you're going to be our backup. Uh, you have to only go in there for injury. And so, you know, that might be the best thing to do moving forward because if the 49ers keep everything in place, I think they could, Kyle Shannon can develop an offense that scores a lot of points uh, because the rest of the players are so good. So that kind of sucks, but it also should make uh, for a really good season in the NFC West. 
between these two teams. Are the Cardinals going to get back into the playoffs this year, you think? Yeah, I, I don't know. DeAndre Hopkins being gone for six games is a pretty big concern. Uh, I don't know. You lost Christian Kirk. You you get Marquise Hollywood Brown, but really the production just hasn't been there for him. And you, I don't know. I'm kind of out on the Cardinals just because you lost Hassan Reddick. You lost Chandler Jones. You're stuck with J.J. Watt, who's pretty expensive on defense. And what is he at this point in his career? We really don't know. Um, the Cardinals roster in terms of the NFC West, they're not much better than the Seahawks. And at least at least they have a quarterback, and that can make up for a lot. But um, there's not a whole lot to work with there, I don't think. Yeah, we saw the Cardinals in the first 11 games or seven games when they start 7-0. and We saw those Cardinals, and then we saw when there was no real good passing game, when DeAndre Hopkins went out and Kyler Murray became one of the worst quarterbacks. Not a good team, and I think you're right. They're not that much different than the Seahawks uh, from a lot of other positions. I think you could definitely argue that right now the Seahawks might have a better supporting cast around the quarterback because of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And, you know, the, the advantages for the Cardinals would be DJ Humphreys at left tackles, just more experienced than Charles Cross. Maybe there's definitely probably better depth at wide receiver and the Cardinals might have the better tight ends, uh, just depending what, what happens with those particular respective groups at this point in their career. And both teams, maybe the Seahawks have a better running back room you know it remains to be really seen but kyler murray is so much better than anything that the the seahawks have a quarterback uh that it can't really compare but i i do see what you're saying jb and i think that that could be a fair analysis uh moving on to the third preseason game the finale it's saturday august 27th by the way the texans is friday august 19th at 7 p.m uh the Bengals finale for the preseason is august 27th at 3 p.m it's in Cincinnati. The Bengals, the Rams, I've heard about this before. Um, it's going to be a rematch there. And we know what the Rams are pretty much going to do. Uh, the Bengals, I would imagine that Zach Taylor is doing a similar thing over there in Cincinnati. So probably a battle of backups here, but it's like a battle of backups in a Super Bowl rematch. What are your thoughts on Rams Bengals? Probably more important than the preseason game itself is that the Rams are going to be holding joint practices with the Bengals leading up to this game during that practice week. And you know, you're competing against the team that has a stout defense, has elite receiving talent, and they're going to test these young players in the secondary. So I think it's a perfect team to kind of scrimmage up against and see how you match up right before you take on a, a really tough team like the Buffalo Bills in week one. So um, I'm going to be paying very close attention to whenever the Rams and Bengals practice together. And, you know, in the week three preseason game, now that there's not four, now that there's a week in between the preseason regular season, um, I think you could maybe see teams play these starters more. Maybe, not Sean McVay, of course, but we'll see what Zach Taylor does. And, yeah, I mean, you, we're going to know by that point at the end of the game who the 95% of who's going to be on the roster and who's not. So um, with these fringe players that we talk about on a regular basis, yeah, we're going to have a pretty good idea where they stand going into the regular season. Yeah, we'll look at the uh, Rams roster before we go here, and we'll talk about which players might be fighting for their lives in week three of the preseason. Let's talk a little bit about the Bengals, because it does make me think also just about the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, I, I don't 
usually I'd think more about the season as a whole. I don't think about what happened in a specific Super Bowl. You know, it's like the Rams had to do everything to get the whole that to get to that point. So I like thinking about things, I guess, more on the macro level. But and so sometimes I forget everything that happens on the micro level in the Super Bowl. You know, I just read this week Joe Mixon saying that he had to air things out and clear the air with Zach Taylor over the final minutes of the Super Bowl and uh, Joe Mixon not being in there for the critical, critical, crucial plays on the crucial drive there for the Bengals at the end and on third and one and, and not even being on the field. And Joe Mixon obviously is their star running back, but wasn't felt they didn't feel obviously that he was the best option for them in that the play that they wanted to run. So there you go. Uh, how close do you think though the Bengals came to winning the Super Bowl? Like, Obviously, we know the score. Obviously, we know you know how t- tight of a game it was. But how close? Like, how close do you think the Bengals were to being like Super Bowl champions and to being a great team? Yeah, I mean, the offensive line was probably their weak spot, right? And the Rams had six or eight sacks in the Super Bowl, and they built it. They rebuilt it the right way this offseason, where they get these cheap free agents instead of putting all your resources, all your dollars into these high-end free agents they went and they said hey we're going to get two to three guys for the price we pay for one of these top shelf free agents and i think that's really smart and then you head into the draft and you're able to draft for depth and maybe future years instead of plugging holes right away so i think that was really smart by them they still have the elite receiving talent maybe a hole at tight end but how many games does that cost you during the regular season who really knows and you know joe burrow's dealing with appendicitis I think he'll be bounced back by I'm really excited to see him in the joint practices whenever you're talking about testing Robert Rochelle and Darion Kendrick with uh, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, but that defense is tough. They have a lot of star players, really just a lot of good, solid players, too. And that scheme, uh, we saw it give the Kansas City Chiefs fits in the playoffs, um, gave the Rams fits at times, too, just because they're they're playing from the depth and they're playing you know similar to the Rams defense. Um, you know, maybe six defensive backs, a lot of people in coverage at, at one time. So um, they're going to be tough this year. I, I think don't sleep on the Bengals. They probably shouldn't have been in the Super Bowl a year ago, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them back, even though we have the Super Bowl hangover, the Super Bowl curse, right? Um, yeah. They fixed their the weakest point in their whole team, I think. The Bengals, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes the team feels like they get to the Super Bowl a little early and – then you would expect that they their six star continues to rise, but in fact, it was their peak. And with the Bengals, it's interesting to think of how they're going to continue forward because, as you say, they signed some cheaper offensive linemen. And I do agree as well. Like, I just disagree with expensive free agency. You know, it's almost every contract is disappointing once you get to the top 10 or 15 free agent contracts. It's like so you know, it's just the odds of, I think right now, obviously Von Miller is starring in bills camp. Everybody loves him. He's Von Miller. Maybe this year he helps the bills get to the super bowl, all that kind of stuff. That's great. But the odds of him playing more than three years on it, very unlikely. The odds of him even getting to year three may not be that likely. Uh, I just think it's interesting. Like I, I think of guys like, uh, Andrew Norwell, you know, it's like that to me is when you go out there and you sign an Andrew Norwell to be your 
this guy's going to fix the offensive line or a Nate Solder. It's like, how often do those contracts feel one year to two years in, you're going, this guy wasn't worth $15 million a year. And it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot, it's a new scheme. And so the Bengals going that direction. I just wonder how long can they keep a good team together? Because the ownership, uh, from what I understand has always been very cheap, you know, and, uh, doesn't go out and spend a lot of money. And that's one of the reasons that they probably went with that wave of free agents for the offensive line as well. And being able to keep together T Higgins and Jamar chase and Tyler Boyd seems like that can't go on for longer than this coming year. I wonder how much longer the Bengals will be able to keep all those good players together. Do you think that Joe Burrow, who is coming off a year in which he led the NFL in completion percentage yards per attempt, uh, as well as sacks taken, uh, do you think that he's going to be better this year or and continue to get better, of course, or do you think he might take a step back because he was so good last year? No, I think I think he'll continue right where he left off. And I agree with you that maybe this wide receiver core can't be kept intact more than this year. But, hey, they're all here together this year, and they have that offensive line, and they're going to have time to push the ball down the field. But uh, you talked about Justin Herbert. I have a question about Justin Herbert because he doesn't really have that it factor. And week 18 against the Raiders, they, you're right, they just needed a tie to get in. And he just didn't do enough to win the game, and Derek Carr did. And Derek Carr, who lost his head coach and a star receiver, did enough to get his team in the playoffs. But then he ran up against a guy like Joe Burrow, who does have the it factor. He's so edgy. People rally around him. And he went up against Pounds, and he came out on top, and he gave Matthew Stafford a run for his money. Hey, maybe the Super Bowl looks a lot different if Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't you know, tear his ACL and miss most of the game. But mm-hmm. um, I think Joe Burrow, he's a rising star in this league. I Honestly, you're not supposed to take the postseason into account, but between him and Tom Brady, I think they probably deserved MVP over Aaron Rodgers last year. Maybe a controversial hot take, but uh, that's just the way I felt. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, it's uh, it, that's why you know the thing about MVP. It's never about who wins the award. It's always just about the conversations you get to have about who should have won the award. That's really what the MVP is for. You know, it's like having well, it could be this guy. So like, yeah, it could be that guy. I think it's this guy, and that's why we talk about it. And several deserving winners for sure. I mean. I think it's when you look, if it's just the way that you look at the game, then I could look at the game and say Matthew Stafford was MVP. You know, like I could look at it away and be like, well, let me just focus on these points here. And I think I made my case. And so it's like, I think that, yeah, that those are guys were deserving uh, as well. Um, and Joe Burrow, the it factor, he's certainly got that cool personality that I'm sure he will carry with him throughout his career and uh, be a star for some time. And and yeah, Justin Herbert doesn't, that's what I liked about him. You know, that he doesn't have like, almost like that he doesn't have an it factor that he just keeps going to work. And is like, the only thing he cares about is winning. And he doesn't care about if people find him interesting. They don't, he doesn't care if people think he's good. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. He doesn't, want to be a big star he just really wants to be cool for his teammates and like have his teammates like him and so that's kind of i guess what i like about him but i also see what you're saying and and i think um we'll find out this year you know if the chargers don't make the playoffs and and justin herbert herbert is healthy fittingly he might be another philip rivers you know that's like hey this guy's really good why isn't he winning when it matters um we'll find out more this season 
the Rams uh, in that final preseason game was talked about like camp battles. Has anything shook out to you in terms of, is there a guy on the roster anywhere who just within the first eight, nine days, you didn't think he was going to make the roster. And now you do think he's going to make the roster. Yeah. I think maybe someone we were on the fringe about last week, Ben Skronik, we weren't even sure if he'd be on the 53. Now he's, as we talked about the interim wide receiver three. So I think that's interesting. Darion Kendrick, Jacoby Durant, they've cemented their places in the cornerback room. And it sounds like Russ Yeast even has done that as well. So um, it's interesting. Some names that we talked about last year, last week is maybe being on the outskirts. Bobby Evans, Tremaine Ingram. I haven't heard a peep about those guys. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not looking good for them. That's kind of concerning. So, yeah. yeah. And what is the, you know, I've always, I'm always, the Rams have uh, put on pads for two days, right? Is that the is that how long they've been running out there in pads and and doing more hitting? I believe so. Yeah, they had a pad day today on Wednesday. So you know, the, the practices around the league getting more intense. It is like those first weeks of training camp. There can be standouts because of the situation of being in the padless play and not having certain you know. The game just keeps changing. It's something else I thought about JB that I want to say before we go. And I just like a thought that I have. It's like Ken's thoughts. Uh, Ken's thoughts is that I I think about how like this is the first time in a, in a lot of these guys' lives, you know, that anybody is making notes publicly about their practices. You know, some obviously you go to a college there's whether it's locally or if you play at a really big school more nationally there are people there's media and there is media time to talk about your practices and there's people obsessed with you and your play and and, you know even at the high school level some places do that but to really be on a national scale having some dude like me sitting in his bedroom talking about you and the way that you do in practice when i'm not even like there with you and it's like other and there's like fans that are watching and listening and waiting to find out who's going to make the team that you've never heard of. And they just are getting to know you now that has to add a level of pressure that I never really thought about before. You know, the mental part of this game, which so much of it is above the neck. And especially right now, where it's like, you've got to be better than four or five other guys that going into the season, people are telling you you're not better than it's like, that's where, I think it's so interesting to have this change in your routine where it's not just practicing and only you have to deal with it. And only the coaches have to deal with it when you make a mistake. Now it's like you go out there and practice and you make a mistake and me, Kenneth Arthur is sitting home tip tapping away. Oh, uh, you know, sounds like Bryce Perkins isn't very good. You know, it's like, Oh, sounds like Lewis Perez isn't going to do it. You know? So what are your thoughts in terms of like, that added pressure of now all of a sudden you're not just a football player, but you're kind of this commodity for a team and for media and for fans to start, you know, sort of putting expectations and and chastising you for mistakes that you make or praising you for things you do well in practice. Very interesting way to think about it. And I'm not ever going to claim to have, you know, a more educated opinion than anyone else. I'm not an NFL scout or coach or anything like that, or know the X's and O's. And we'll never claim to. So uh, don't take it personal, guys, if, you, if you're listening and you're reading the articles or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're a sixth or seventh round pick or you're an undrafted free agent, the odds are already kind of working against you anyways. And you, you might get in your head. You might read a negative piece of news or see a negative tweet reacting to practice. And 
uh, you're not even getting a lot of opportunities anyways to prove what you're worth. And uh, it could really start spiraling from that point. But we haven't even got to the preseason yet. There's three games. These guys are going to have opportunities to show themselves. And it's going to be really interesting moving forward. Uh, one note I just remembered, Jake uh, Hummel, the middle linebacker, I've seen is running with the first team special team. So maybe a favorite of Jody Camillus oh. might be interesting to watch him in the preseason if he has a role on defense. But uh, anytime you see a middle linebacker involved on special teams, usually a good sign because those guys are pretty important in that regard. Hey, that's a good note. That's a good way to uh, end here with like, yeah, some good insight there from JB Scott. Um, with regards to those, uh, sixth and seventh round picks final thing you know the rams made quite a few aj arcuri the tackle uh daniel hardy the edge rusher russ yeast who we've talked about on this podcast and darian kendrick who has gotten a lot of attention in camp and certainly is being you know is playing at a level uh where you would think he's going to definitely make the team as a you know a developmental corner back uh, and a backup and everything like that and obviously as well as kobe durant probably definitely going to make the team six and seventh round picks which ones do, do you do you expect them all to make it or do you expect one or two of these guys not to make it yeah it's hard to say it sounds like the, the secondary players are really doing well we haven't seen Quentin Lake, who's still on the PEP list, the physically enabled oh, perform right. list. So uh, whenever you miss training camp, we saw with last year at Tutu Atwell, right, who even as a second-round pick had COVID at the start of camp, maybe missed a week and a half of practice, and that really put him behind the eight ball, and he never really caught up. So I, I wouldn't say that things are looking promising for Quentin Lake in 2022, but have heard good things about Daniel Hardy. Uh, not, with a limited number of days and pads, it's hard for Ed Rusher to stand out. But he's a elite athlete. He's a he's a very good athlete, and he's going to stand on special teams. Uh, interesting to see if he can carve out a role there too. Well, we'll uh, know more when we talk about the Rams next, which will be probably next week. Uh, if anything comes up sooner, worthy of a uh, emergency Turf Show Times podcast, we'll be here to talk about it. But that's this episode of Turf Show Times, the podcast. It is a audio podcast. You're probably listening to it on audio, but we did post video at the Turf Show Times YouTube. Uh, so you can check out the video at Turf Show Times on YouTube, and it'll just show the rosters. So basically just what we talked about. But if you want a visual, there you go. Go see that. Uh, and subscribe to Turf Show Times because there's going to be episode after episode this season as the Rams Look to repeat as Super Bowl champions. Read JB's work over at turfshowtimes.com. And uh, yeah, use turfshowtimes.com. I got to be honest, it's the best Rams website and the best Rams resource on the internet. I think that it is a great place. So uh, go check it out. All these writers are just doing a fantastic job covering the team. Uh, you would agree, right, JB? Heck yeah. We got a couple new guys recently and they are killing it. So it's going to be a lot of fun covering the team this year. I agree. It's a, it's a fun season. So that's it for this episode of Turf Show Times. Come back next week for another episode.